After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as you are one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them and even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with them. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me more, me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because of your love, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, 
Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Amen. Father, we thank you for this good time now that we have uh, to think about this um, prayer of Jesus in John 17. And we pray that you'd help us to be clearer about it uh, and also encouraged uh, to obey you the right way as we think about it more carefully. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. See if you can uh, recognise this hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to... That's right, you know, it's a good one, isn't it? Well, Christians do enjoy the privilege of coming to God in prayer, don't they? Uh, But I wonder what your prayers are like. Uh, I wonder whether you know what my prayers are like. And are they anything like a prayer that Jesus prays? Uh, Our prayers show us, don't they, what people think. Uh, When someone comes out the front to read the Bible, it's, it's it's not as big a job in some ways coming out to say a prayer. When you pray, you're really showing people uh, what you're thinking about God and in some ways it reflects our characters as well. But today we um, get to get a picture of what mattered to Jesus. Uh, what were the concerns on his mind and on his heart? And we can gain some insight into the principles that he's actually handed down to us as well so we can learn something from his prayers. And so the first point we'll see in your outline is that Jesus prays for his glorification. Uh, We're taken into some sacred ground today as we uh, eavesdrop, so to speak, when Jesus prays before the end of his earthly life. So I'll pick that up in chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus understands that his hour has come and that he's uh, going through the process of the end game. And he's asking that God's going to glorify him, not just simply in the cross, uh, but through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right through to his ascension, which is why he says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus is looking through the hardship that awaits him, And he's looking forward to being glorified by God uh, in all eternity. This uh, point that Jesus is raising here also reinforces uh, an idea that we have about Jesus, that he wasn't simply the creation. I know some Christadelphians and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses try to persuade us that uh, Jesus was perhaps uh, the first creation or the only creation, um, that he was only a creation. 
not that he was indeed the creator. Uh, but what we're getting the impression of here is that Jesus was there before the creation of the world. In John chapter 1, verse 18, we're already introduced to this idea when we read that no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And so as John writes this about Jesus, he's, uh, he's grappling with the fact that Jesus has come from God in eternity, he's dwelt on earth, and then he goes and ascends to the Father's side. But as we read this passage in John 17 today, Jesus is still yet to go through that final process uh, before he looks forward to the time when he finishes his work and dies as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world uh, in order to give eternal life to those whom God calls to himself and put their trust in Jesus. But in this prayer, we see that Jesus models something for us in prayer to begin with. He asks that God might glorify him uh, for a reason in verse 1, that in order that he might glorify God. Uh, in the midst of different trouble and hardship, uh, if we feel like there's a threat to our livelihood or a threat to our, our health, uh, if we've got different struggles, uh, it more, comes more naturally for us to pray that God will um, look after us and help us get through. Uh, but Jesus is faced with a very difficult situation and in this instance he's actually praying that God would be glorified. Now it's not wrong to pray for um, situations where we face hardship, is it? It's, uh, it's Jesus who actually teaches us that God is a loving father uh, and that he tells us that he's better than the unjust judge uh, and that we can come to God in prayer about all kinds of things. But here, one of the things we're taking away from the principles of Jesus' prayer is he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about how he can bring glory to God. Now, the work that God calls us to do is not going to be the same that he's called Jesus to do. He's already came and lived and died on the cross for our behalf. But there are things that God does call us to do uh, we're told in Ephesians that he's um, prepared good works for us to do. There are deeds that God calls us to do within our families, within our workplaces or uh, our communities that we belong to where we can actually bring glory to God in the way that we live. And so central to uh, our living and thinking about God is that we've been made for his glory. Uh, this is reflected in our Presbyterian heritage in the first catechism question which says, what is the chief end of man? Or another way to put it is, what is man's primary purpose? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so central in our whole thinking about life should be God's at the centre of the universe. We've been created for his glory and that should flow down uh, into our prayers. In the same way that it flowed down to Jesus that when he prayed, he was concerned to glorify God. Well, the next thing we notice from Jesus' prayers is that he prays for his disciples. Uh, he understands that he has disciples following him and he thinks about the reasons for that and reflects on it in verse 6 to 11a. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything 
you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. So Jesus reflects on the fact that uh, his disciples have come to him because God has drawn them to him. Uh, He says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. And the disciples accepted the words from Jesus. Uh, They attributed the the things that Jesus said uh, and the things that Jesus did, his miracles, as being he was someone from God. Not everybody did that. Uh, Some of the Jews and the Pharisees, they attributed Jesus' words and works to the power of Satan. Uh, And so these disciples are in a different camp. And as Jesus reflects on the fact that the disciples are following him and he's praying for them, uh, he, he harks back to something that we've already been taught in John's Gospel, in John chapter 6, in verse 37. It says, All the Father gives me will come to me, and I shall lose none of them he has given me. And in John 6, 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up at the last day. So Jesus acknowledges, even in his prayer now, that it's the work of God uh, in their lives that they're following him. If we think back to our own lives, we um, in some ways realise that we make a decision for God. That's true. Uh, Jesus is, you know, calls us to, to follow him. You know, Knock and the door will be open. Uh, but the reality is, as we think about our lives and the families we've been placed in, Uh, where we went to school, all different kinds of actions that God has uh, weaved throughout our lives have brought us to a point where we're here with our faith in Jesus. Uh, And Jesus is giving an acknowledgement to God's work in salvation. This is something of a relief to us as well. For as we uh, seek to share the good news with people, as we... um, Sow the good seed, keep chucking the seed as, the, as Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower. Uh, we can accept that people become Christians not because of how beautiful, humorous or wonderful we are. It's actually a work of salvation that's wrought by God. We can accept that it's from God's timing that people have their hearts changed. Uh, Colin Buchanan, we've had a bit of Colin Buchanan this morning in the service. Uh, just to pick up on St. Colin once again, this is what he says to, to us in one of his songs. Some folks are drawn to Jesus, so just leave that bit to him. But if they bite, reel them in. So what he's saying is, he's, God's work is in saving people. Uh, our job's to be faithful in sharing the good news uh, and engaging with people over what Jesus has done for them in a clear and careful way, holding on to the truth very carefully, not like those prosperity gospel preachers in Tanzania or Dodoma. We've got to give them the truth. Uh, And then on that basis, we reel them in. If people are drawn to Jesus, we share the good news with them, and then God pulls them in, and, and somehow he uses us in that process. But Jesus is acknowledging that, that he has these disciples because of what God has done. 
And the second thing that he does is he prays for the disciples that they might be protected. Uh, so we'll pick that up in the, the end of verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the, that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Well, Jesus is acknowledging that uh, his disciples aren't going to be speaking the same language as the world. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. If they were saying the same kinds of things as the world, believing the same kinds of things, and living the world's way, uh, they wouldn't be hated by the world. They'd be loved by the world. They'd be embraced by the world. But the fact is, these people are different. They submit to Jesus as their king. And that's what distinguishes them or marks them out from the world. The world can't stand the idea that it should submit to another king, one called Jesus. In fact, even the language that people use in the world reflects that they don't even believe there is a, a king over us called Jesus. Uh, today, when people talk about uh, bad behaviour, they don't refer to it as sinful. Have you noticed that? Oftentimes, well, actually, I had a lawyer mate who filled me in on this. He said it's actually not even antisocial behaviour, necessarily bad behaviour. It's just behaviour. But it's certainly not sinful behaviour because that would imply there's a God that people are sinning against. I noticed this a little bit uh, semi-recently with that uh, golf tycoon Tiger Woods. Uh, after he got up to a bit of mischief, uh, one article tried to explain his behaviour uh, not in terms of just sin, but as uh, some sort of disorder where his, his adultery was actually uh, simply classified as a disorder. He wasn't told that he should be uh, living sinfully. He was just a disorder. He couldn't help it. But that's a different language that these disciples are speaking. Uh, Jesus knows that they're not speaking the same language as the world, for they're not of the world any more than he is of the world. And aware of the differences between the disciples and the world, Jesus prays for his disciples, not that they be taken out of the world. He says, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus doesn't call his people to be uh, cut off from the world and placed in monasteries or nunneries. He doesn't call his people to be cut off from the world and not to speak and engage the world. In fact, he uses his people to take salvation to the world. So there's a profound engagement that Jesus calls his disciples to. Uh, recently, I was invited to do an article for the Pulse magazine on being a school chaplain. Uh, so you're going to see in a couple of weeks' time to 
your own little Peter Charles, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, as I have on the door of my school office. Uh, and one of the questions in the chaplet, <laughs> that's right, Charlie, a few people got that one. Uh, there's a picture of him there next to my name, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, one of the chaplain, the questions that I was asked was, why is chaplaincy important? And I had to write, well, I think it's important to have Christian people within the context of state schools so that they might be salt and light to the world. And then I quoted uh, John chapter 17, verse 15, where Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And I think that the chaplain role represents a good, ways, a good way for Christians to be connected to the world. So Jesus isn't calling his people to be cut off from the world, but he does call them to be protected from Satan, the evil one. Uh, some Christians... Well, at least people who profess to be Christians don't actually uh, believe in a satanic dimension to the world. Uh, but the Bible tells us that we live in a universe where there is good and evil. Uh, and as Christians, we need to come to terms with a supernatural dimension to our universe, which is wicked. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that we take our stand against the devil and his schemes and that our, blood, uh, our, sorry, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, Jesus describes uh, Satan as someone who is a liar. He says when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But how does Satan lie to us? Well, in the first place, uh, Satan lied to Eve when he said, uh, you'll not surely die if you take the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, maybe that's not a temptation that we have an opportunity to act on. Uh, but how does Satan lie to us? Well, perhaps he tempts us to dump living for God and to live for ourselves instead. Perhaps we're tempted to think that now that we are Christians, it doesn't matter how we live. Maybe that's something that Satan's tempting us to do as well. Either way, we need to take into account that there is a spiritual dimension of evil and Jesus prays for his protection of his disciples. And that should affect our prayers as well. We should pray as the Lord prayed, lead us not into temptation. That's, that's no good for us. Keep us from evil. In the next part, Jesus prays that his disciples might be sanctified. Uh, we'll read out verse 17 to 19. He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, sanctify is not a word that we might always uh, use uh, in our modern English, unless you've got a special coffee cup, you like to sanctify that and not let the kids get to it, or you don't want to share it around the staff room. Uh, but the concept here is of setting something apart for special usage. Now, Jesus hasn't set his disciples apart to be worldly, but to be set apart by the truth, which links us into his understanding that God's word is truth. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I think he's saying that as Christians live according to God's word, they will be set apart. They won't be worldly. They'll be set apart as different as they live in accordance with God's word. And Jesus speaks about setting himself apart. He says, For them I sanctify myself, 
which I take it means he's, he's actually set himself apart for the special work of dying on the cross uh, in order that his people might be truly set apart as forgiven. But all this talk of sanctification and being set apart uh, goes to raise the question of how separate or distinct from the world we are. Are our lives distinguishable from those who aren't yet Christians? Do people know what we stand for? Do they know what you stand for? Are we distinguishable from the world? I was intrigued recently to watch the, um, what might be dubbed the never-ending train wreck that is the New South Wales Labor Party. Uh, as the election finished and the Libs were voted in, there was a little bit of um, blame shifting and whose fault is all this business. At one point I read a, a Sydney Morning Herald article by I think a former politician now, Frank Sartor, making his comments about Eddie Obeid. And Frank is Frank in the way that he wrote. Listen to what he said. He writes this letter to Eddie Obeid in the Sydney Morning Herald. So I'm not telling tales here. This is not my gossip. This is just in the newspapers. He says, Dear Eddie, you should go now and without further delay. Oh, that's a frank way to start. In fact, you should have left the parliamentary party a decade ago. You epitomise the malaise within the Labor Party. What do you stand for, Eddie? In my eight years in the parliamentary Labor Party, I never learnt exactly what you stood for, other than the exercise of influence. Now, politics aside, that's a pretty good question to ask. What does somebody stand for? Uh, if we're so supposed to be sanctified and set apart as Jesus' followers, do people know what we stand for? Are we set apart because we stick to God's truth? Are we set apart from the world because people know that we live differently? And so that's a good challenge for us, to think that when people know us from the world, do they know that we're different, that we actually stand for something and that we are set apart? Well, when I was uh, getting ready to invite one of my mates, uh, who I know from school, to the golf day, as I thought about our church and uh, whether people would be thinking that you know, the Christians here are set apart from the world, I reflected on the kind of guys that I was inviting my friend to play golf with. And I've got to say, I was really glad as I thought about the guys who, who I was going to introduce this new bloke to. And I thought, yep, they're guys who are characterised by love, joy, peace, patience and kindness most of the time. Uh, <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't like other community groups that I've been part of where I think, oh, no, no, I wouldn't like to introduce to those people. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, there's other gangs, bikey gangs and skateboarding groups and even sometimes people that touch footy club or the soccer are a bit tough. But this crew of Christians, I was glad to invite this guy to the golf that day. But it still remains a challenge for us to think about what it means for us to be set apart by believing in the Lord Jesus and living out God's truth within our lives. It's a good challenge. Well, Jesus continues to pray for those who will believe, not just the disciples at that time, uh, and for the church in the future. In John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will, will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In the, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Well, Jesus prays for the future uh, believers of the church and he has, has in mind a group that's united uh, with a kind of unity that he shares with uh, the Godhead, God the Father. Although God the Spirit's not mentioned in this passage in particular here, uh, it seems that God the Spirit comes up when he talks about uh, dwelling within them. But either way, the concept's the same. He's praying that the Christians will be united, uh, just as God, the God here is united. Which is quite a challenge, a tall order, since um, we still have sin in our lives and we have many differences with each other. But there is a unity that we are called to. Uh, and it's not to be a simple trivial unity. We're not to be united uh, in Scottish heritage with surnames that begin with Mook. Our unity isn't to be in the joys of eating haggis or in Presbyterian blue like you'll see on the lectern over there. Uh, our unity is not to be in the fact that we like to meet on a prime site of real estate in this place of Port Macquarie uh, here in the heart of town although some people might find some unity with those things, our supreme unity ought to be in the fact that we're holding on to the testimony that the apostles passed down. They've held on to the message of Jesus. They've understood the logic that God sent Jesus into the world to be a saviour for the world, that the world needed saving and that Jesus has come to bring salvation to people. We ought to be unified in the fact that we come to Jesus not through any other means. There's no other foundation that we get right with God other than the foundation that the apostles have laid, which is Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we come to Jesus as Saviour by a simple trust in what he's done for us. It's not through a pathway of Mary. It's not through a pathway of sacraments. It's through a simple trust that salvation is found by those who call on the name of the Lord. The promise of the word of God is that you will be saved. That's what our unity is in. It's in the gospel. And Jesus teaches us that that unity has an impact on our evangelism. In verse 23, he says, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so it's a mark of our Christian maturity to recognise that how we live as God's people, how we're unified in the gospel, has an impact on our evangelism. It's only as we're united in the gospel that people can understand or hear the message that salvation's found in Christ. So our unity's got to be in Christ. And as we are unified in the gospel, the world is going to have a chance to hear the message. I'll say that again. As we're unified in the gospel, the world's got a chance to hear the message the gospel message, uh, so that they might come to terms with it as well. As I invited my friend to the, the golf day and he caught up with people at church uh, in the barbecue afterwards, he was able to hear a bunch of people who were united in the gospel uh, and to start to come to terms with that message once again. 
That's what Jesus is pointing out here, that our unity has an impact on our witness. In the third point, Jesus prays that all believers may be perfected so as to see his glory. I'll pick that up in verse 24 to 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And so in this final paragraph, as Jesus prays for his people, his concern is that they might see him in glory as well. In verse 24 he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. The point here is he's saying he's going to be clothed in splendour. They've seen him when he uh, made himself nothing and took the form of a servant. But then he's praying that they'll persevere as his people and see him in glory as well. Well, our prayers might not always reflect the priorities of Jesus. Uh, but it's been good for us to come to terms with the sort of things that are his concerns as he prays. We can see that he's prayed first and foremost for God's glory. As he's glorified, he prays for God's glory. That's his big concern. And we can pray that in the deeds that God has for us, has prepared for us to do, we might be um, doing things for his glory as well. That should filter down to our prayer. Jesus prays for his disciples in the knowledge that God has worked salvation in their lives. And he prays that they wouldn't be taken out of the world, but that they'd be protected from Satan. We can pray for ourselves that uh, as we live in the world, we wouldn't be of the world, but that we'd be engaged with the world, that we might even have opportunity to take the news of salvation to it. And we can ask God to protect us from Satan's lies, uh, that we'd be better off serving ourselves than serving God. We can ask God that we can hold on to the truth, that we'd refute the, the lies and the temptations of Satan as we continue to read God's word and remember who we are before God, that he's made us and that he saved us, that we wouldn't buy Satan's lies. Jesus prays for his disciples that they might be sanctified by the truth as they come to terms with God's word and that his people might be unified as they hold on to the message that the apostles held down, passed down. And we can ask God to help us be distinguished from the world, to take a stand for our Lord Jesus and for living his way. And we can pray that God will help us to be unified as a church uh, in the gospel and have an effective witness to the world. Finally, Jesus prays that his disciples might be perfected, that they might see him in glory, that they might persevere as his people and make it to the end of the journey. And we can pray that God will help us stand the test of time as Christians as well uh, and encourage each other to make it to the end of the race. Well, there's a lot in this passage to um, try to deal with, so if you've been struggling to catch all those ideas and another idea and another idea, you've done very well, but it's right time now to come before God in prayer and let's pray about some of those things now. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks uh, for your goodness in working salvation in our lives. Uh, we thank you for all of the events and the places and the, the people that you've 
brought into our lives to bring us to a point where we might see uh, the hardness of our hearts and our rebellion against you and our need for Jesus, our Saviour. Father, we thank you that you've changed us and uh, made us your children. And we pray that you would help us not to move back to old ways where we think uh, our lives and our interests are at the centre of the universe, but that we would uh, think carefully about how we can live for your glory as Jesus prayed that he might glorify you. Father, we pray that you would... Um, Help us to engage the world that you've placed us in, that we wouldn't be uh, cut off or pulled out of it, uh, but that we would be in the world, yet not of it. Father, we pray that you would keep us from Satan's lies uh, as he tempts us to forget about you and to uh, leave you in the lurch and to move on in life without you. And Father, we pray that you, we would um, repent from uh, any temptation uh, to go down that path but that we might be um, renewed in our zeal uh, to love you and live your way. Father, we pray that you would help us to distinguish ourselves in the world, that people might know what we stand for, that we would be set apart, uh, that people know from what we say and how we live that we are your people. And Lord, we also pray that we be unified together, uh, that we be effective in our witness to the world because we share the gospel, that salvation is found in Christ alone and received through faith alone uh, to your glory alone. Father, we also pray that you would strengthen us to persevere as your people, to make it to the end of the race uh, and to stand the test of time as your people. We ask for your help in these things and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.